Hello and welcome to episode 40 of the D-Route podcast. I'm Chris. And I'm Fred. And we have a guest today. Hello, I'm Simon. I'm the one that hasn't been in the podcast yet. Yeah, up until now. Yeah, so for the people not on our Discord, Simon's name on the Discord is, and I'm never in a podcast. <laughs> Are you going to change it after this? Yeah, pretty much so. You I'll have to. to. I'll, I'll change it to, and I'm in a podcast. <laughs> yeah, I'm in one <laughs> podcast. Just keep forcing our hand to make you change your name. Oh, yeah. So do you want to explain why I'm here today? Uh, I mean, I feel like you the way you said that means that you just really want us to mention that you won our last play of 18 Dortmund. <laughs> There's probably other things we should talk about first, but yes. Uh, and also, it, it's very dubious because the first game we tied, in a sense. I think there was, what, 13 points between me and mm. Chris? Yeah, I was I was just slightly ahead, but it was double digits ahead. Yeah, like not by much. Um, and then this part, this game we played, I ended up winning, but only because we had to end early. No, I don't think so. Yeah, no, I think you're not giving yourself credit there. I think we managed to. Oh, we kind of called it though. Yeah, but yeah. you were you were gonna win. Yeah. You were yeah. Gonna win. Um, so we essentially just decided that looked at our share prices was like, okay, if we run two more rounds and nothing really changes, I'll most likely have the most money. Very likely. <laughs> and yeah, feels good. feels like a good victory, but yeah, I think you, I think you were ahead by a lot yes. to be fair. I, I think it was a big ahead. Yeah. So you yeah. can give yourself credit for the win for sure. Yeah. So I have been invited to now talk about my experiences and how to play 1886 Dortmund. Well, well, Simon, Simon famously hates 18xx games, although he secretly <laughs> loves them. Yes. But, you know, he complains every time we play them, but he's always keen. And 18 Dortmund is, he's now proclaimed to be his favorite, I think. Is that fair to say? Um, yeah. If I look at my top five, that's probably at the top. Okay. Mm. Yeah. So we thought if he's going to come on and talk about 18xx games that he pretends to hate, we should make him talk about his favorite one. <laughs> Well, let's let's do some. We've got some new patrons I want to mention first. Mm. Well, this one is not new. Uh, Garrett Weirman increased his pledge. I think that's what you call it. Yeah, sure. We'll go with that. And then we've got Brent Ritchie and Philip Johnson. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Yes, um, thanks very much. I've seen a few new faces popping up in the Discord, which has been awesome. Yes, yeah. There's a bunch of us now. I'm trying to see how many people are actually in this channel. There's now 47 people in the Discord channel, which is pretty awesome. Yeah, that is good, yeah. That includes us and everything, obviously. But yeah, yeah makes for some um, lively discussion. I mean, me and Rudy have been the longest fans of you guys, so... <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Although we only... I was going to say you listened before we actually released it, but I don't think that you did, actually. But yeah, I remember we had like six episodes... Uh, by the time we actually launched the podcast. Before we like made it like announced kind of thing. You know? Yeah, it's before we actually like posted it anywhere. It was just sort of lurking on the internet. Yeah. Have you talked about the fact that it's your one year anniversary for the podcast? We haven't. Yeah, you actually reminded us of that. That when was it? Sometime like a few days ago, hey? That it was fourteenth uh, of June, I think. Okay. Yeah. So a little more than a week ago was our first our first ever one. So that's pretty awesome. So we've been at it for a year and 40 episodes, not quite 52, but close. Not quite, not quite, but we, we're doing all right. Yeah. yeah. Look, 40 episodes, I think, is, is the most, <laughs> it's probably the highest of any of the 18xx podcasts, so we're not doing too badly. 
we won't we won't say anything for the quality of the content, but we we've got the quantity <laughs> down. We're persistent. Exactly. Yeah, we. <laughs> That, uh, that applies to a lot of things, I suppose. Yeah. To the 18xx thing. Um, yeah, we also had a um, an email from Peter Hazelhurst. I'm going with Hazelhurst. He, he can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but he does say where he's from, I think. Maybe he didn't. I lied. So we can, <laughs> we can be free to speculate again. <laughs> we tend to not be very good at that. It's like, yes, it sounds Swedish. And the guy's like, uh, I'm from Oklahoma. but Peter uh, Hazelhurst, that sounds, I want to say England. Do you? Okay. I was also feeling a little bit of a British vibe. It's either that or like America, but like Rhode Island, Boston. Wow. So you chose the smallest state to speculate. That's ballsy. <laughs> That's pretty ballsy. Going I mean, you could have gone for something like California, Texas, you know, just to cast the net. No, but Hazelhurst sounds like... It's it's a, like a marriage between an English name Hazel. <laughs> okay, I see. We so you think there was like a a bit of a someone got married off to the new lands. Yeah, kind of yeah, thing, right? yeah. Essentially, and then they combined the two names together. Okay, awesome. So Peter uh, from America by marriage. <laughs> Um, he sent us an email saying that he's just really enjoying the podcast and he actually very recently got back into 18xx over the last few weeks. So he said he was looking for an online game to play with his two grown-up children during lockdown. Um, they both live a few hours away. So it sort of seemed like a fun way to kind of stay in touch. And he remembered that back in the 90s, um, he used to play 1830 and 1825 with them, which is pretty oh, awesome. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah, he actually says he used to, he found his old copy of 1830 that he played with co-workers back in 1991, and these were non-gaming co-workers. Hmm. Sure. So, 91, I think, yeah, there was less, there was no Netflix and, <laughs> and stuff, so I guess people were more down with engaging in a six-hour board game <laughs> when they had very little experience with other games. So, that's pretty awesome. Wow, that's very cool. Well, what's yeah, the component quality like? Back then, print and play style quality. I would yeah, suspect. so I think this would have been um, Avalon Hills eighteen thirty, which is actually, I mean, it's oh, decent. It's, okay. it's fine. Yeah, I'm imagining. I think that was kind of the first copy of eighteen thirty. I could be wrong. The eighteen XX historians will maybe have my head, but yeah, I think back then it was mostly the the Avalon Hills stuff when they were mostly making war games back then, um, and then they published eighteen thirty as well some couple of other 18xx's i think okay yeah so he he tracked down his old copies of 1825 and his old copy of 1830 um and he said that he has 18 chesapeake 1833 ne and 1846 on pre-order oh, and nice. he plans to pre-order 1839 when his kickstarter opens so he's fully back in that's very cool yeah, but he says he's always been a keen board gamer. And yeah, he was initially into the Hex Encounter War games, which might have been how he got into the 1830 stuff, if it was the Avalon Hill one. Um, yeah, and he said that in his 20s, it was postal diplomacy. I can't even imagine the hurt feelings that come with playing a game of diplomacy over post. Wow. Can you imagine a game that takes like six months to play and then someone stabs you in the back? <laughs> yes, yes, I can because Chris, we've been playing online games with you. That is true, but I'm, I'm yet to betray you. <laughs> Look, you're not helping my dubious record when it comes to taking turns in online games. I've, I've tried to 
reform my image. Initially, when we were doing the online games in the Discord, I did have about seven going on and famously took forever to take my turns, but I'm trying to I'm trying to resurrect my image here. The Clans of Caledonia game that you guys are playing that's been going on for what two weeks now? Uh, see that that's with Fred and Rudy and they don't count. I'm trying to resurrect my image in the <laughs> the derailed Discord. <laughs> the clans I mean I did win that clans games. I just wanna I just want everyone to know that. So yeah. it just takes I was saying it just takes days to plan the you kind of moves. Sat that there I and planning. drew out the whole game tree by hand. <laughs> exactly, yeah. I had flow charts, it was hectic, guys. <laughs> and stabbed us in the back. <laughs> I think I stabbed Rudy in the back by winning. I think he thought he had that one in the bag. Oh. The the game gave him a sixty four percent chance of beating me. Pathetic. What oh, were well. they thinking? What were they thinking? <laughs> they thought I was a newbie. Little did they know. Yeah. So the last thing I want to say from Peter um, was he said one of the reasons he enjoys the podcast it reminds him of a happy holiday he had in SA in two thousand and three. We went to Cape Town, hung around for a couple of days, and then drove along the coast of Port Elizabeth. Oh, nice! Wow, that's nice. cool. Yeah, so I actually grew up in Port Elizabeth, Peter, so I'm very well versed with it. Um, and he said that he went to a fabulous visit to the reserve near PE, Elephants, Buffalo, Rhinos. Oh, cool. Hmm. Yeah, which is pretty cool. I imagine it was probably Addo Elephant Park because um, that's the one that's pretty close to PE. Okay. Um, but there's some super fancy ones that side now that are like ultra five-star and stuff. So it could be one of those, but I don't know when... Oh, no, they would have been around in 2003. So, yeah, maybe it was one of those. But whenever I hear elephants, I think of Addo. Were you still in B in 2003? Ooh, I would have been. So, in 2003, I would have been in grade 10 in PE. Okay. So, Peter, you were, I was slogging through high school while you were chilling nearby <laughs> and drinking red wine and eating seafood. In so. the game park. Nice. Yeah, in the game park. <laughs> and that's kind of a, a weird thing. Eh? I mean, I could have even. Yeah, being in the area code. It's pretty cool. Yeah. So he said, one of the things that blew my mind was seeing familiar constellations upside down. Explain that, flat earthers. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and different ones as well, probably, like the Southern Cross and things. Flat earthers listening, please write in and, yeah, refute <laughs> Peter's um, proposition here. Yeah. There is nothing better than going out into the bush or to a game lodge, spending the night and just looking up at the stars. Yeah, because you can see so much. It's awesome. Yeah. Without all that pollution and whatnot. Yeah, but thanks so much, Peter. That was awesome. I really enjoyed your mail. Very cool to hear you've been this side and that you enjoyed it. Fred and I's Airbnb remains open if anyone wants to come and visit us. Yes, for 18xxs for sure, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Free for 18xxs. (laughs) If you're a filthy Eurogamer, you're going to have to pay. (laughs) Sweet. So should we dive into 18 Dortmund? Yes. Yeah. So Simon, we haven't heard your opinion of the game itself um, on the podcast. Everyone's heard us talk about it. So as a as a fringe 18xxer, um, as someone who's definitely a filthy Euro gamer and this game having sort of integrated Euro elements into it, how did you kind of feel about it? Did you I don't think, I don't like think the Euro stuff? I don't think I'm a filthy Euro gamer. That's I just play games. I mean, I have Twilight Imperium. That is true. That is Blood true. Rage. So I'm just more of a gamer. I really liked 18 Dortmund. So if I had to list it, I think we've already said it's in my top. It's, it's, it's the top of the list for me, and it's because of the marriage between the brewery section and the train section. Kind of works so seamlessly. Mm. Uh, the way they've kind of 
because this was a problem we had with uh, City of Big Shoulders, was there was a massive disconnect between the market phase, which was just an 18-sex clone, and the rest of the game, which was more like a Euro. Yeah. But with Dortmund, they've taken the breweries and treated them like a train company. Mm. And it plays like a train company, but they've done enough tweaking that there's a different way you have to think to go about it. And I really like that. And it doesn't, and it also doesn't impact the game in a negative way. You're not trying to, the breweries aren't stronger than the train companies. Um, in the first game we played, I didn't touch the breweries. I had some shares in them, but I was never running them. But in this one, I decided to go heavy onto the brewery and then have a train as a backup. And that managed to push me over the edge. So I don't think breweries are the only way to play this game, which is nice. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I agree with what you're saying as well in the sense that what would have been very easy for them to do is have the brewery round, have the train round, and sort of the normal operating round, the railway corporation round, and have those be totally separate from each other. And that actually would have worked fine. It would have just been a different way of doing an operating round. But what I do really like, like you say, is they're actually integrated. So stuff that you do in the railway operating round influences stuff that happens in the brewery round. Exactly. It's you want, if you have a brewery, you want to have more clients for that brewery. So you have to then have a train company to put out those clients onto the map, putting out those uh, coal posts and those steel mills. Yeah, so what it does in the game sense is it creates demand for that beer when you build those railway links. And so you have a situation where if everyone's going breweries, you're going to be putting out a lot more links. But then we had a situation with you, Chris, where you were like, no, I don't want to do this anymore. You still had a brewery, but you weren't putting out links, so it was up to the rest of us to do it. Yeah, it gets really tricky, man, that aspect of it, because you sort of, by creating more demand, you're pushing things ever upwards. And one thing that was very different in this play from our first play was how much more I think we understood about the game made a big difference and how much faster we pushed those breweries upwards. Um, the sort of, it's almost like an arms race, right? It's like a power struggle. Uh, because the operating order in the brewery round is so important, you always want to be getting better brewery equipment because whoever has the best equipment goes first. And what I noticed was that demand started to dry up for the lower ranked stuff so if beer, you were, yeah. Man, yeah if you were manufacturing beers for the two row it, you didn't need to wait for that event card that pops up that makes it obsolete we were doing that ourselves just by only manufacturing for higher and higher stuff and i think it also depends on how the game plays out so in this one we had four people and all of us had breweries whereas yeah. in the first game we only had you and chris Fred and Chris doing the doing the breweries. So I was left never actually pushing those trains. And I think obviously as you play more games of it, you would try and then work a balance, I suppose. Were all the brewery companies floated in the first game we played? I don't think so. No. And in no, this one they were. So. I never touched anything. And in this one we had a situation where the last brewery to act couldn't sell any beer whatsoever. Yeah, that was me. Thanks yes. for thanks yeah. for no, I have to <laughs> I have to remind you of that. <laughs> but I mean, that we didn't have that in the first game, I think, because not all the breweries were operating. But that also just makes that turn order in the brewery like so, so vitally important. Yeah, that was the big thing about this one. Because we had four people all trying to vie for position, grabbing the next equipment meant that you had to be you were first. Yeah. 
But then you also have to grab the second equipment because that's how the turn order is decided. You work on the highest one you have and then the second highest. And this also kind of plays back into the beginning of the game where you have your auction and you're trying to figure out, well, what's the best brewery or the minor company to get? And this is how I think the first time we played this, we didn't really explore the auction as well because we didn't understand that turn order mechanic. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah no, we were just like, oh, this one looks cool. <laughs> Yeah, essentially. But in this one, you're like, okay, if I get two level two breweries, I'm going to be last. But then if I grab the level three brewery, I can then become first. But that didn't play out. Yeah, um, so it was funny because I thought I was being super clever in this auction. So I got one of them for cheap, um, but it, it acted second or something like that. Yeah. Um, or it acted first. I think it was going to act first. And in my mind, oh, yeah, it was going to act first. In my mind, I was like, okay, this one's got two level ones. But what I can do is if I withhold in the first round, because this treasury is quite big as well, I thought if I withhold in the first round, I can buy level two. They'll put me even with everyone else. And then I will be tired and I'll stay in first place and I'll get access to all the level two stuff. And that's as far as my brain kind of went on that. And I was like, sweet, I'm going to do that. So then I did that and then everyone else proceeded to do the exact same thing. And then I ended up last. Oh, didn't we buy twos as soon as possible yeah. and jump ahead of you? Yeah. And then, exactly. And then the you next guys round. You both had two twos. Yeah, yeah. Or even one. Because we buy them first, we're ahead of you. And then in the next round, you buy one just to keep up, but you stay acting last. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I thought having a two and a one was going to be good. But you guys, at the end of that very first round, both had two twos. So then I could right. never catch up until I got a three, which was yeah. way on the horizon. Yeah. So, yeah, I got screwed. So it made me rethink that whole thing. You've got to be thinking a few moves ahead because again that brewery order is everything yeah yeah and i think the first game we i kind of treated the breweries as more of just a revenue stream as a minor um a private company but in this one it became a lot more cl clearer that these were treated much more like train companies themselves but then again i'm thinking well what's stopping you from just not going to the brewery step and keeping a minor company because they don't um, or a private company because they don't close and just keeping up with the demand and treating that as a revenue stream. You could do that. The only problem with it is that obviously it has no increasing share value, which is a huge loss of yeah. potential revenue. And also um, it splits 50-50. I suppose trading that brewery in for a share is far better. But then again, in the first game, I never did that. I traded in for a share much later on in the most successful company. Yeah. Which there's another strategy I guess you can take in the guess. And I think that kind of leads into why I like this game so much because of the different ways you can approach this. If you go to heavy trains or if you go for the brewery, I mean, we have to probably talk about the investment parts. Yeah, well, yeah, you can talk about your initial strategy there. You kind of know it's, it's, it's a good game when at the end of the game, Chris immediately says, that was stupid of us. <laughs> because essentially what happened in the first two rounds, I didn't have my own train company. I decided to let everyone else float their company. And then I bought two shares in Chris's, one share in Fred, and two shares in Rudy. That was the winning move because, you know, I like to dump companies. <laughs> yeah, that <laughs> this, was, this was the riskiest move ever because we have Fred who likes to dump companies, Chris who will happily dump. But I think also because I thought it was a new game, because I thought 18X Dortmund hasn't been explored that much, they're going to be less willing to dump early so i kind of waited i think two rounds holding onto the shares 
And only once the breweries became available in the green stage did I dump all the shares and take control of a very strong brewery. But it was super risky because at the beginning of the game, I could have been left with two really, well, crappy companies. Mm. Yeah, I think I think what made it dumb from our side was sort of, we, we fell into that trap of like, but the company's doing quite well. This train's not going to rust for a long time. I don't really want to get rid of it because... We've also done that before where we've dumped a company on you early and you've proceeded to ride that company to success. And then we're like, well, that sucks. <laughs> I think that happened in 1847. Yeah, I think it happened it where we dumped a company on you. are like, cool. You bought up like 100% of it and then won. <laughs> and so I think I had that traumatic flashback in my mind when I was thinking about <laughs> dumping this one. Because it was so attractive. It had like good roots. It had like a train that wasn't going to rust. Yeah, and in your in your mind, or I think in, for me, it's you dumped the company, but I've only invested two shares, and you invested five shares into making it happen, and now yeah. I'm this week, and I'm now riding the success. And in this game, losing a company, even if you dumped those two companies on me, I could always just work them into bankruptcy and then write them off. So I wasn't in a massively risky position in that regard. Yeah, because you did only buy two shares of it, right? So you could potentially, you kind of would have had a choice because you can close companies in this game. It's one of those games where if you get to the end of the stock market, the company closes, much like 1849. So you could have potentially um, sort of held on to those two shares, kept withholding, let it tank and try and raid its treasury or something to to get something else, right? Yeah. Um, you know, float a new company, try and build up its treasury, then transfer that treasury and then close the company. You could have potentially pulled off something tricky like that. So yeah, talking about it now, it's not necessarily cut and dry that we should have just dumped on you and that's the end of the story because you would have had to pivot and change your strategy potentially, but it's not necessarily that in the future you couldn't do the exact same thing. And if we did dump it on you, adjust from there. It's not clear to me that it would have just been like, oh, you lose, cheers. Yeah, I, I think this kind of plays into what Chocho said on the Discord of how do we look at how do we look at a game and realize what the mistakes we made and then change them as, as mistakes. Because we do the great thing of we finish a game and we start talking about it and we go, okay, you did that very really cleverly, you did that smartly. But now we're talking about it a week later and our choices might be completely different. So I don't know, how do you guys evaluate a good choice in an 18 sex game, especially in something like 18 Dortmund? Yeah, I think it's often easier to to recognize the bad choices. I think when you feel the consequences of them, when you're like, hmm, that was a mistake. And sometimes it's easier than others, right? Sometimes there's that sort of yeah. key decision point where you're like, should I get rid of this or should I buy that or should I sell this? And then, you know, three rounds later, you're like, yeah, I waited too long on this and now I'm, I'm punished. I should have done this or that so those ones are easy but uh, a complex scenario like this especially since it's early on in the game it's interesting because i can easily say oh i should have dumped that company on you you know but then at the same time you could have pivoted with it and done something completely different but still come out winning yeah this is probably not like a fair situation where he floats three companies all at once and you're like hmm I don't know if that was the best play. Or <laughs> <laughs> well, the um, classic Fred situation where he, um, in 1849, where he floated a company and then immediately went bankrupt and had to close it. <laughs> was it he was, couldn't afford the trade. I remember that. <laughs> Wasn't it something like, the, didn't the same happen in this game in 18 Dortmund where the company floated and you didn't have enough 
but I think in Dortmund you can sell off shares as you go through the game. The companies yeah. can sell off shares to the bank, so you're yeah. less likely of running into that. But it, it's really bad when you float a company and you still can't afford a train at the end, so you have to put a, sell shares. It does not feel great. Yeah, um, that, that can happen. <laughs> look, I, yeah, I think the other things is the obviously we talked about the, the auctions. That was it's very different than a normal 186 auction, and I kind of like it. The the I place a bid and then I tr you try and one up me on it. Mm, I like it as well. Yeah, it's fun for something different because there's those situations where you sort of like, especially when you have to replace your token and you can say, well, you you always have a choice. It's sort of like I can either take one of these free ones and I know that I can get this for zero and end the auction immediately, or I can mix things up and then bid on someone else and then yeah, we we keep going. Okay. Yeah. If I looked at my success in this game, it probably came down to two things. Firstly, I floated a company that had a 40% share at the start, which if I learned from Fred is that having more shares than the normal 15 that's allowed, because mm. I'm having one that has given me 40% yeah. is very strong. And I kind of did the same with my train company. I waited for we really to float the 20%, 10, 10, 10, 10, and I managed to get the 20, 20, 20 company. So that's another thing about eating Dortmund is that the company shares are, they're all over the place. So knowing yeah. kind of what company to pick up at the right time and get those shares that matter. And also the, some companies have a 20 share and then 10, 10, 10, 10, and then the last share is another 20%. Mm. And being able to pick those up, I kind of realized after so many games of you guys that having those extra shares can definitely give you the win. Especially something like a 40%. Like, that's pretty huge. Yeah. And that one's interesting. So that is the when, as soon as the three trains are bust, you go into, you can float brewery companies. And that 40% is one of the brewery companies that's always in the game. Um, and what's kind of interesting about that is that it actually requires quite a lot of cash um, to be able to just buy that straight up. Yeah, and again, because of the investment I did, I had some revenue coming in from your guys' trains. You guys didn't dump the stuff on me, so I could then afford that brewery. Yeah, so what I found a little bit tricky about it was that sometimes, you know, you have to get to 50% to float, right? So you would think, well, you have to pay 40% anyway. But sometimes what you want to do is first buy 20% and then let other people do their thing. Sometimes in order to buy, let's say, a 40%, you have to sell some of your shares and then potentially leave your company vulnerable. Um, whereas once someone else had already committed to floating something, leaving your, co your company vulnerable wouldn't be a problem because they would no longer be able to afford to take it away from you. And that's something that happened to me in one of these games where I was looking at like a 40% share and I was like, well, I actually can't buy that outright right now. I need to yeah. sell shares to do it. And if I sell shares as my first move, um, it's going to be a problem for me. Right. I kind of had the same with the train company I floated at the end. I essentially waited for all you all you guys to put your money in and then only then to start doing the 20%, 20%, 20% share because I realized that that was very vulnerable for someone to take it over. If I right. grab a 20% and they grab a 20%, then it becomes essentially a race. Yeah. Yes, I do remember you doing that. Yeah, you'll be ahead in the race, but you, you lose the benefit of having those three 20% shares. You'll have two of them at most, Jim. And then also, because this is partial capped, um, the early investments, I think, hurt you guys a lot. Because I'm buying the shares for cheap, it mm. means there's less money going into the companies because of partial cap. 
and that meant I think it was in like the third round, the fourth round, it was all three of you having to basically fund a new train because all the twos and threes had rested at the same time. Yeah, so that was a big niggle in it, right? Is that we hadn't necessarily, when you started investing, and I use that in inverted commas, because like you say, it's more of an attack on the company than it is an investment. It becomes very hard to fund trains later on. Um, so it's a little bit tricky. So that's why at the time I felt like, you maybe I should have just dumped this because you kind of tanked a lot of its future success ability. Um, it's also, tr there's so much you have to take into consideration. So you can't float a brewery and use that money to buy a train for your train company. Yeah. Yes. So if you have this train company that has very little potential for future income because all of its shares are gone, uh, which is the main way you would fund it in the future, and then you think, cool, I've got cash, I'm going to float a brewery. Uh, then when that train rusts, you're kind of in a little bit of trouble because you can't, you don't have this train company to juggle trains between. But you want to get in on the brewery action, so... Oh, there's a lot to there's a lot to consider. Or even just juggling money. You can't juggle money between them. Well, I think that's because there's not a yes, lot of yeah. train companies in the game. I mean, there's essentially six train companies. I think there's seven with five players. And if everyone has a company, that means there's only really one company to go around and be used as a juggling company, essentially. Mm. Yeah, it is quite it's quite tricky. So you almost have to, there's so much stuff that I learn every time I play this game. So if that happened in the future, I might have to bite the bullet and say, look, I can't actually do a brewery. My second company I float needs to be a train company because I'm going to need to bail this other company out down the line because Simon has ruined my, my income into the yeah. treasury. Yeah. But overall, I really did like 18 Dortmund. I, it was a lovely marriage between the two systems. And obviously, really likes it a lot. And I think because of the same reason, it's that kind of Euro-style mechanic. But it's it's much more closer akin to an 18xx game. But there are some things of Dortmund I don't really like. I think the map isn't as exciting as it could be. Um, and I noticed we didn't use stations a lot. That was something I also picked up on. In both our games, the stations for the companies are very expensive and you almost never have money and you never really want to use them. I think some companies are happy with one being placed down and maybe you get a second one, but rarely you see more than that. There wasn't a lot of train blocking either, or route blocking, I should say. Which is interesting, you know, that just makes me then think, so what if I was the guy who ignored breweries, went all train routes and basically blocked off all the routes? With because I had a bunch of money and I float the companies that have tons of tokens and I do my best to block the routes that go off board. So then the people with the breweries have to export using my company because they can't get their own trains off board. Yeah. Or or you block off the Dortmund Central, which you have to have a station in in order to ship out. Yeah, exactly. If I have like three train companies, for example, I'm just the train guy and I just take control of that whole area. Yeah, I think there's definitely an aspect of doing the opposite of what everyone else is doing in this game. If everyone is going breweries, it becomes less attractive to float that last brewery. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think there's definitely that, like, do the opposite of what everyone else is doing and benefit that way. Yeah, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of cool layers, right? There's a lot of cool layers here. Like, the more we talk about it, uh, my brain keeps going, oh, but what if this, you know? Mm. Yeah, so, I think that's a kind of credit to the design of it. Um, you know, there's yeah. so much more we can explore of it. And we haven't even explored the 
the advanced version. You're right. Yeah. So again, I don't know exactly like, cause we have this prototype version, right? And I don't know exactly what's in the final version, but we have this expert variant where instead of laying down, I think it's instead of laying down the simple um, coal railway links, you, yeah. you lay down stuff that gives you like special bonuses or that shapes your strategy in some way. It's like bottling companies and stuff like that, um, that can potentially change yeah, give you bonuses depending on what you run through there and stuff like that. I don't know exactly. I haven't looked at all of it because the the base was enough to be like, whoa, okay, let's unpack this. Yeah, um, I, but I'm keen to introduce it sometime. I think we have other 18 sexes to get to as well before we kind of tackle that. I think yeah, I, if I look true. at if I look at like Rhineland, we haven't even touched the electrical rails of Rhineland. Am I? Am I thinking uh, you correctly? Think it's 1849 that has all those electricity variants. Yes, we haven't even touched it. So, but I am told you should kind of just ignore all of that stuff in 1849. That all that stuff is nonsense. That's what the conversions say. Oh, really? <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, but those are my thoughts really on 18 Dortmund. Really like it. Yeah, good game. Really cool, man. And I now, yeah, now I just want to try and play it and be a railway baron bastard and just shut off everyone's beer routes. <laughs> <laughs> the meta of 18 Dortmund is slowly growing. Well, that's the thing, right? Is that's what it feels like. It feels like there's such a, a meta game to it. Like Fred says, you kind of want to be not doing what other people are doing um, because there's so much room for competition here. And yeah, I can totally see a game where you come in and you, and you decide, okay, I'm going to try and shut off everyone's stuff and make everyone export into me because our sort of level one thinking was, okay, so you export cubes to a train company. The train carries them off board and gets bonuses. So you own a train company and you own a beer company. And then you use your brewery to use put the cubes on your train and then you export with your train. Great. And that makes sense, right? It's easily integrated. It's like, cool, that's how we do it. But then now I'm like going to the next level. I'm like, but what if I'm the only one who can go off board, <laughs> you know, or if Three companies of mine can go off board and only one other company in the whole game can go off board. Now, everyone, I'm extorting beer cubes out of everyone because everyone wants to do the export stuff for more money and they're all going to go through me. Yeah. Yeah, and I think the easiest way to block other people from going off board is to build stations in Dortmund because everyone starts all around the board. So it's difficult to actually block the actual route. But if you just build three stations or four stations in Dortmund, then you've got control of that. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you can, like you say, yeah, it's hard to necessarily block everyone's thing, but there's a lot of two station tiles that sort of go in the middle of those routes that mm. you can potentially block off people's home cities. And I'd have to play it again to figure it out, but it but, seems yeah. like a fun strategy. Yeah. But just thinking now, we we tend to do this a lot, and I've seen this in most of our 18 sex games, is we float the first company, we buy as many two trains as possible, and then we immediately put down a second station because we want to get the most income for the... But I'm now wondering is if that's the correct play for this. Maybe it's better to wait a bit, buy only one train, and put a station in a better spot. I think it depends on whether you want to hold onto that company for the long run or whether you just want to get some money out and float something else. Mm, that's true as well. Although generally, even the company that you sell down, you'll recover it later in the game. Yeah, the, I mean, in both games, we have had a bankruptcy. I think Rudy pushed down his company in, in the game we played, and in the first one, it was Fred. Yeah, you mean a, a closed company, yeah. Right, yeah, yeah. 
bank but, company. But I don't think that's necessarily a strat. I, I, I don't, because you're losing so much in profit. It could be if you sell down to, let's say, 20% um, and then you close it from there just so you don't have to deal with the liability. I think it could be a strategy in that sense, but it takes a bit of finessing for sure. Yeah, in the first game, I, I wasn't planning to close it from the beginning, but I kind of did it because I could see a train purchase coming up that I didn't really want to to pay with my own cash. So that's why I closed it. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Such a cool game, man. Oh, Very cool, love yeah. it. Love it, love yeah, it. Yeah, the second play was good again, even though my it was a bit of misery trains for me, but I still still want to play <laughs> it again. <laughs> it still feels pretty long as an 18x game. Well, yeah, I think I think it definitely is. Even though there's a fixed number of rounds, you obviously are doubling the number of operating rounds, um, and there's a lot of companies. So there's basically 12 companies that will be operating by the end. Um, and you're thinking think- of breweries and trains now. Yes, exactly. Yeah, if you add them both together, right? So it's quite a lot. I don't think it's quite double though. The the brewery rounds are very quick, but it is an extra layer of decision making as well. Yeah, for sure. You're right. The brewery rounds are a lot faster than a railway operating round, so you can't necessarily compare it as just like it's double the time. Yeah. But I like the fixed number of rounds. It's quite cool, and I like having that predictability to it. Yes. So what was interesting for me, the one thing I wanted to talk about was um, with the breweries, we always kind of felt like they were kind of low risk because your stuff doesn't really rust. Yeah. I found out the hard way that that's not necessarily (laughs) true at all. So what's interesting about it is that there's a finite number of beer cubes. And as the demand goes up, those beer cubes naturally get shifted up because you'll always take beer cubes from the lowest level of demand and, and shift them where they need to be. So with you guys, you guys had six breweries and five breweries, and I had two fours. And I was kind of happy with two fours. I thought to myself, you know what? Chilled. I've got two fours. I'll just be the guy who ships off the crappy four beers. It's still a decent amount of money. You guys can fight over the sixes and the fives. Um, no. <laughs> so what ended up happening was that you guys shipped off so much six and five beers that you actually sucked up all the demand and they ended up with no cubes left in the four section. Yeah. When that happens, if any round happens where there's no demand for fours and no four cubes get shipped, same for any level, all your breweries become obsolete and basically rust. Yeah, that demand closes permanently, basically. Yeah. The demand for four beer is permanently ended. Yeah. So... Yeah, that was a thing. But you didn't have to then buy a new brewery. You could have just left the two fours to rust. Well, yeah, you're not forced to, but you're losing so much if you don't make a plan, you know. It was, it was kind of a disaster, yeah. Uh, but that was right at the end, and that's when we kind of declared the winners anyway. So it was pretty chilled in that sense. Um, but, yo, it was bad. But it made me realize, because I thought fours were safe. I mean, I really thought fours were you safe. You thought they were permanent. <laughs> yeah, threes and twos, you, you know, are going to rust or go away or whatever. No problem. But the amount of demand for the high-level beer to take all of the cubes, that was very surprising to me. Very, yeah. very surprising. And, and that's due to the competition for being first, I think. Absolutely, yeah. We were pushing those high-quality beers. <laughs> and we also had more breweries in, in play. Conversely... Right. The four trains in our game never rested. No one yeah, in, our, in our three-player game, yeah. And I think there was less of an arms race, and, and so less demand and less people invested in breweries. So, yeah, that time it went a lot better. Yeah. 
Fred, any other thoughts? Nothing for me, I think. Um, I think I probably should just do this uh, a list of my top five 18xx games that I don't necessarily hate. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Are, are all of your favorite 18x games actually 18xx games? Yes. Yes. I have <laughs> okay. <good. laughs> I, I did my homework. I made a list. I checked it twice. Okay. Oh wow. Okay. Nice. We love top five lists. Yeah. Let's, let's hear it. Yeah. So uh, 1846 is probably number five. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, number four podcast. <laughs> number four would be number four would be Rhineland. Um, I think there's still a lot for us to explore. I'm still worried about the revenue track in Rhineland, but yeah, definitely on the list. Mm-hmm. Number three would be Nippon. Okay. Okay, so that's eighty nine. Yeah. For those who don't speak Simon, yeah. I, I can't remember the n- numbers. There's no, that's one, cool. I got you. I got you. There's only one number I do remember. Um, there, and then number two would be Sicily. Okay, that's eighteen forty nine. I, I don't necessarily like the hex train part of it, but I, I absolutely love the way the companies come out in a random order. That adds yeah, so right. much, so much wonderful confusion to the game. Yeah, yeah, that is cool. And then number one would be eighteen sixty-two. I'm no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you've listened to Fred or Chris, you know why that's a complete and absolute lie. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, my top one is eighteen Dortmund. Love it. Nice, 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 man. Cool list. Solid list. Yeah, I'm surprised you don't have eighteen forty seven in there because I thought you really liked that one actually. If I, I just probably that's the remember. one where you bought up a hundred percent of a company. Oh, is that the old? Mm. I don't. Again, I, you have to apologize. You have to apologize to the the derailed <laughs> fans. Numbers for me just don't work. I feel like either. I feel like it's just that you love them all so much that it's just hard <laughs> you can't to choose. Yeah. Oh, yeah, can't choose. You know, <laughs> if people want to realize why why people say or why Chris and Fred think I hate eighteen sex games is because I never remember the numbers. They all look the same, and they all play the same. <laughs> but obviously, I, they don't. Yeah, yeah. No, but that's a good list. I like it. Yeah, nicely done. We like a list. I approve of 49 being up there, actually, because 49 is legit. It is good, yeah. I really want to play 49 again, but we got to play 18 Max, man. That's the next one on our list for new games. Yeah, Ooh. that we haven't played yet. Yeah, which I think I think will be quite cool, because that's relatively simple, but it has a brutal train rush, which should be quite fun. Okay. Are we going to get a round in, of Chesapeake's, or are you just kind of hiding that away? Because you guys all bought copies of that, and I'm the only one that didn't uh, have one. Yes, uh, yes, we did play a two-player Chesapeake's. That's what our last episode we was We must about. play it at yeah. four, yeah, and see what that's like. We have to give it a shot at four, definitely. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't our favorite at two. I mean, we enjoyed it because we enjoy all 18xx games. But yeah, it was, it was it was good, but it didn't like blow our minds at all. Yeah. But mm. I think it really needs more players, so yeah. keen to try that. And yeah, at four, because two is... Very different because of the the two player variant rules and stuff. So keen to try that for. Yeah. So that's on our list as well for sure. Yeah. Yeah, man. So Simon, at the end of these episodes, if you've made it that far to any of them, we always talk about something South African, a fun oh. South African fact, piece of South African culture, a South African current event. Uh, do you have any ideas? Current events. I'm 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 actually trying to stay away from the news. I mean, right. <laughs> it, it's it's not great, is it? It's everything is yeah. everything is terrible, and this so, and this podcast is the only beacon of light in it. <laughs> <laughs> what's a what's a what's a fun fact about South Africa you would tell someone who had never been here, or you were trying to tell someone about South Africa? I want to say 
my, the most memorable part is I think people do Cape Town a bit wrong, right? <laughs> people <laughs> do Cape Town wrong. No, because when people get to, because Cape Town's a huge popular tourist destination. Right. Uh, and for various good reasons. But what happens is they generally go to the most fanciest places and you really don't. If you want to experience Cape Town, the best way for me is you go to Cape Point, which is a lovely place. You then go to the aquarium and then you go on a boat ride around the bay and see some whales. For me, that's like the quintessential Cape Town experience. Okay. Um, and I think maybe tourists, they kind of, if you come to South Africa, you might end up going on safari in Cape Town, maybe go on the wine tour. But I think like that's too fancy for me. Okay. I don't I know. Mean, you'll be tempted because our currency sucks and you can do lots of fancy things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a great thing. So obviously because of the whole um, situation right now, I think there'll be a lot of like internal touristy things happening. I know me and the missus are planning a trip when this all blows over. Nice. Where are you going? To Cape Town. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, Cape but, Town is probably this one of the places in South Africa, one of the popular places I've probably spent the least amount of time. I haven't done very much Cape Town at all. Yeah, no one really goes to Port Elizabeth, well, except for uh, Peter. Yeah. No one, no, one really Peter <laughs> no one really goes to Port Elizabeth for the touristy South Africa part, do they? Well, you can do the garden route. That's popular, right? And that's yes. Cape Town to PE, basically. Yeah, it's that, or then you go up to Cougar National Park, and that's it. Yeah. I know. Fred, do you know of any other good tourist places that we would recommend to the derailed fans? Um, well, I, yeah, I also don't visit Cape Town very often. I think, like, growing up in Joburg, if you go for a beach holiday, it's typically Durban, because it's closer. Yeah. So that was kind of my, like, experience. I mean, I've been to Cape Town. I've done Table Mountain. I still think the popular tourist places are good to see. Like, you know, you won't be disappointed seeing the popular touristy spots in Cape Town, I don't yeah. think. Look, some of my favorite holidays in, Cape in South Africa have been either a visit to the Trout Farm, which is slightly up north of Johannesburg, and it's very much in the felt, and you get to basically fish for trout. Um, the other thing is we, we went to a lovely place in the Kuru, a place called Kuenfle, which is, I think, in Afrikaans, that is Green Vale. Uh, and it's a, it's a little valley. There's a lovely, sweet old lady and her farmstead, and she rents out her cottage, or she has a separate cottage that you can get stay in. And that's actually a wonderful trip. It's, I think, only about six hours from Joburg. And in, especially in wintertime, there's this wonderful walking through the, the Kuru landscape. Uh, and you can kind of get the whole experience with the sheep and the farm life. Yeah, you're right. There's a lot of really cool, um, like very pretty places that are kind of just in the middle of nowhere. Like I once went away for a weekend with some friends. I think it was like a place in Pumalanga, also one of these trout area places. Yeah. Um, and it was just like this Airbnb or whatever, but it was literally a house like in the middle of like these green mountains. We like drove on this road that wasn't even a road. And my poor hatchback managed to climb up this hill. And it was just like totally self-sufficient. I think it was like solar powered. It was this like stone house or whatever. Um, so it was, yeah, it had all its own electricity generation and all of that. Beautiful. And just the views were like incredible. But it was literally just someone built a house like literally in the middle of nothing. <laughs> but really, really cool. And there's so many little places like that. So, yeah, I mean, I think there's no limit to what you can do on holiday in South Africa. I do really think it's a great holiday place. Yeah. Um, Cape Town definitely has a whole bunch of like touristy stuff. 
um, that is really nice and really, really pretty and really cool to do. Uh, you definitely won't be disappointed. And yeah, you, you can get a lot of value here with if you're coming from the States, from Europe, pretty much anywhere in Europe, um, your currency exchange is going to it's going to be great for you. So oh, yeah. but that's when what it I'm comes to like restaurants and accommodation, you'll do very well. But that's kind of what I'm saying. Uh, you know, it's, it's, if you're doing a tourist of South Africa, try not do the tourist stuff in South Africa, go out of your way to do some research and find a really cozy chalet in the middle of the desert. But, yeah, absolutely. Or do both. I would say absolutely yeah. rent a car. Um, in South Africa, everything is like renting, like we drive everywhere. Everyone has a car and we all use cars, basically. Um, our public transport sucks. Uh, we have Uber, but that's it. Um, oh. You don't want any of the other stuff you really don't want to use. So, um, yeah, you can Uber around, but driving a, uh, renting a car is great because there's so many great drives you can do in places you can go. Like if you land in Cape Town or whatever, you can drive the garden route and stuff like that, which is down to my side of the world. and. Yeah, drive the garden routes. You can stop at like a place called like Port Alford, uh, which is a cozy little village nestled just before you get, break into the Karoo from the Cape Winelands. Um, yeah, it's pretty awesome, man. And Cape Town, there's so many nice places to drive. Like those wine estates are really, really cool to drive around and do wine tastings yeah. if but, that's your but, thing. But just like they do, like in America, you go on like an American road trip across the I-99. Or, yeah, or whatever, yeah. Whatever, you know, you can do the exact same here. Take a trip from Joburg up to Cape Town. It's not it's not the worst road. Yeah, I mean, uh, well, you, you could land. I imagine what you would do is you would, like, land in Joburg, right? Yeah. Um, go to Kruger, which is obviously amazing, somewhere like that. You can do stuff around there. Then fly to Cape Town, rent a car in Cape Town, drive the garden route down to, like, PE side. There's some incredible game reserves in the Eastern Cape. The best game reserves in the country actually in the Eastern Cape in terms of like just really, really, really luxury if that's your thing. Yeah. And that'd be a pretty cool holiday, I think. Yeah. Well, you know, you're kind of missing out one key event that you need to do if you're in South Africa. Well, of course you have to come to derail con. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and you might even be featured on a podcast. It only took me a year. Yeah, exactly. hundred percent. If you come visit us at Joburg, we'll put you on the podcast. We'll play 18xx. It'll be fun, man. Let's do it. Yeah, that'll be awesome. <laughs> yeah, we still actually really want to do a derailed con. I mean, we don't necessarily expect anyone to come, but uh, if it's just us playing games for a weekend, we'll probably enjoy that as well anyway. So. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's just all kind of like on hold with the lockdown stuff still in effect and everything oh yeah, oh, yeah. Right. there was tons of planning for the derailed con before this well so, we kind of were looking at doing it towards the end of this year and we were going to chat to richard who's one of the local guys yeah it has a venue and stuff like that but yeah we'll see we'll see how we go yeah i mean you could always do like an online festival the derailed online festival you could but not for our first one no yeah you want that not you want the personal personal yeah. in person feeling we want to we want to do the thing man we want to do the thing teach people 18xx and play a bunch of 18xx hangouts it'll be fun exchange some viruses yeah exactly yeah yeah <laughs> well, each it, other. it was the the, the con flu but now it's going to be the derailed flu i've like one of those measles parties you know they used to do when kids were young and they'd like one would get chicken pox and they'd like have a party so yes. all the kids started at the same time yeah is that a thing yeah that was totally was. a thing dude it yeah was. Because it was like better to have it when you were young, and mm -hmm. it was easier if they all had it at the same time. 
I mean, how cool would that be to be patient zero at one of those parties, though? Like, everyone's all up in your shiz, man. Everyone, <laughs> you're like the star of the show. Like, what up, guys? I've got measles. Come at me. <laughs> Ladies. <laughs> I think we have, yeah. So what's, ne- what's the next plan? When, when, I think we're going to, are we going to meet up and play some Chesapeake? So eight, meet up and play some 18 mechs? Yeah, or I think we can do some 18 mechs, 18 Chesapeake. Peaks. Hopefully, yeah, I mean, hopefully in the next podcast, it's not going to be illegal to see people. Yeah, yeah, hopefully we won't be breaking the law by playing a board game. Yeah. We'll see how it goes. But yeah, sweet. I think we can end there. Yes. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Simon, for joining us. It was good to have you on. Thank you for having me. Yeah, very cool, man. Thanks for sharing your thoughts as our resident Dortmund expert. (laughs) Yeah, it was fun. I just wanted to be on the back of the box. Simon, Simon, <laughs> Simon thought Dortmund was pretty good for an 18xx game. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Took quite on there. The derailed review. There you go. Yeah, we, we need like a we need a cool thing, man. You know, like they got the golden pear and like the oh, seal of excellence. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I mean, if there's any fans of the podcast that want to make a logo for the derailed. Yeah, Fred, we need one of those, dude. Like a dice tower approves kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, man. That's how we get our that's how we get our seal on a box, dude. Yeah. We've got to have the seal. Yeah. That's the thing. <laughs> oh, let's make our seal an actual seal. Yes. Yes. <laughs> like a seal of approval, and it's just a, a seal balancing like a golden train on its nose. Oh this sounds so good. Yeah. Okay. Time to brainstorm, guys. Sorry, we've got work to do. We're gonna have to leave. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> we're busy planning our internet fame, if you guys don't mind. But we will see you again soon, hopefully talking about Cheesy Peaks, 18 Max. Yeah. Something cool. Cool, thanks cool. very much, guys. Cheers. Thanks, everyone. All right. Cheers. If you would like to get in touch with us, we are at derailed18xx on Instagram and Twitter. You can email us, derailed18xx at gmail.com. And we're on Patreon at patreon.com slash derailed18xx. Thanks for listening.